Welcome to The Pursuit of Wellbeing. My name's Maria Brosnan, and I'm an educational wellbeing specialist and your host for this show. Here on the podcast, I'll be speaking with leading figures in education about the issues affecting schools and teachers today. We'll share tools and practical ideas to help you thrive, not just survive, as an educator. My guest today is Dan Edwards. Dan has worked in education for many years, holding leadership roles in both secondary and primary sectors. He's had a long spell working in various education units in adolescent residential social care to a brief sojourn teaching postgraduates as a visiting lecturer at the university. And then finally, to the here and now, he's a principal of Woodstock Primary Academy, a large primary school in the heart of Leicester City. He's a regular columnist for Teach Primary, the Head Teacher Magazine and SSAT, and also speaks both nationally and internationally on leadership, school culture and teaching and learning. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Very welcome. I think a good place to start is what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given as a school leader? I think looking back, the most important piece of advice I was ever given was to be as authentic as possible and be as humane as possible in any role that you take within the realm of leadership. And I think um, sometimes it's hard for people to do that. Um, to be authentic and also to be lead with humanity because of the pressures that we have. But it's something that I try and hold dear onto, you know, hold dearly onto, or should I say, in my job on a day-to-day basis. And what, what does that look like? You know, so if you're thinking of being an authentic leader and, you know, being humane and bringing your humanity to it, give it, give, how does it look either, either side of that fence? <laughs> I think one of the things that we all fall foul of when we go into leadership is is the persona of a leader. And I think sometimes it's born out of fear because, you know, when you when you kind of develop your journey into leadership, especially around, you know, headship um, and further, you know, further from there, you know, there's no real kind of guidance in regards to how to do things. You know, there's lots of, you know, books and advice and, and great kind of experience that are, has been passed on and passed on, but it never, it's never as personal as it needs to be because we are individuals within that role. So for me, it's, it really is about trying to be me. And I know that sounds really probably a little bit daft because I think we try to make sure that we are as human as possible. And, and I try to make sure that I'm really no different when I'm at home, well, there's a little bit of difference when I'm at home, but there's actually no distinction between me as the leader and me as the, as the person that is Dan Edwards. I know that sounds kind of a little bit like, well, you can be quite unprofessional or you're being really unprofessional or, you, you know, and all those kinds of things. But actually, you know, I need to have that sense of self in everything I do because yeah. I think the hardest thing is that you can, you can exhaust yourself trying to be a persona of the leader that you think you are. And I don't think you can ever make decisions, um, you know, properly. Trying yeah. to look look them through the the eyes of, of someone you think you're supposed to be. Yeah. So it's trying to be real. It's trying to make sure that actually the person who's making the decisions is you, yeah. and not the person you think you should be in those moments as well. Um, and I think I've done that because, well, I, I listen to that advice more and more because I think in my early stages of leadership, especially around you know headship you know, the first thing I tried to do was try to look, think about the leaders that I'd had 
and the principles that I've worked under and try to snatch the best bits of their qualities. And it just didn't work. It just yeah. fell flat <laughs> um, because I couldn't string it all together and it was an impossible situation to be in. So the best thing to do was just scrub all of that out and go, right, well, it's me. Like yeah. it or lump it and I'm going to make mistakes along the way and, you know, I can and make I friends as well. Yeah, and I think you make such an important point here, Dan, because I, I work with lots of SLT and heads and especially when they have to deliver bad news or have a difficult conversation or do something, do a task or something that they don't really want to do or they feel uncomfortable with. It's like they put on this persona, like their professional persona, and they talk in a way that is deeply inauthentic and inhumane and they're kind of quite teleoffy. And And when I say just talk to somebody, talk to them like they're a person and if, they, if their date is not in or if they're you know, if their marking isn't following the school policy, whatever it is, just talk to them like a person and be curious about it. Okay, this isn't happening. What do we do to make sure it happens or help me understand where you're at? When you bring that part of yourself, then people people can relate to you in a different way. When you've Comple got this professional persona on, it's like, I don't even know who I'm talking to. Completely. I think, I think it's really, really important. I, you know, if you have a difficult conversation with a stranger, yeah. You know, if you imagine just going up to someone in the streets and going, your shoes are, <laughs> you know, pretty terrible. You know, it makes it for an awkward conversation. But if you if you go up to someone and you know them, you can have a conversation which might be a little bit unsettling, but you can couch it in a way that the fact is you've got shared experience, you've got an understanding of who, you, who each other are as people, you understand their motivation somewhat, and you can, you know, it ultimately, ultimately makes that conversation easier for both both parties involved in that transaction and there's more of a buy-in because they respect you more or you'd hope they respect you more because you've taken the opportunity over that course of that over the course of your working relationship or your just your relationship without defining yeah. it as a as whatever it is yeah. that actually you can just sort of say you know look you know are, are you okay are, you know the, yeah. the first thing that where people kind of fall foul is I think as you go in straight away addressing the problem you know, or you're addressing the the con concern on a kind of an operational level. So yeah. if you talk about someone's marking, the worst thing to do is go, your marking's not up to scratch. Mm. But if we actually get to know people, we can actually turn around and say, are you okay? Because I've just noticed this. Yeah. And is there anything I can do to help? Rather than you've got a problem, you need to fix it. So, I, I you know, I, I, that's what I kind of, that's where I see things yeah. needing to be a little bit more. And with that style of authentic, humane leadership, what do you think that does, or what do you, what's been your experience of how that affects a school culture? I think it's massive, and I think, and, I, and I've noticed it, and I, and I don't, you know, I never want to speak, you know, on these on podcasts and bits and pieces, professing to be the only person who thinks like this. But I think when you work in, and I've worked in inner city schools and worked in schools which have, you know been in RI positions and, and really struggled with, you know, lots of external factors as well as the challenges of kind of accountability and, you know, you know, those kind of make metrics that have been developed by, you know, Ofsted and, you know, the government. But I think, you know, working in inner city schools is really, really hard. And I think sometimes I think we can get 
confidence a little bit twisted around our heads a little bit. I think when, when leaders go into inner city schools, sometimes it's the first leadership position they have because it's, it's you know, maybe perhaps the, the demand to work in these schools is very different, you know, and I think that's where I personally was. It was one of my, it was my first headship going into a two form entry school with a, with a lot of, you know, things weren't particularly as well as they should be. And I think what, what leaders need, want to do is to immediately give confidence and to make sure that they can steady the ship. Mm. And sometimes they misplace how they do that by professing to know everything. You know, mm. the, the saviour is here. Someone is going to give us all the answers. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I think sometimes that's wrong because we don't know all the answers. And I think the, the most important thing to do in these situations is, is to say that you don't know and actually you're going to call on everybody in this organisation to help you get there and to to take their information as equally as importantly as the ideas that you have um and that can have a really kind of it has it can have an effect which just binds people together and I, and I found that when I when I came to my school you know there's a lot of you know lots of things that we needed to do but I you know I didn't know the school I didn't know every member of staff I didn't know how things worked I didn't know what had gone on previously in the last 15 20 years mm. You know, in the experience of some of the people that had been there as long as me. So for me to go in and go, right, I've got the answer. And to try and, you know, ease people's emotions with another load of change, professing to say that I can change things immediately and I've got it. And, you know, look at me, don't worry about anything. Just soon dissolved very, very quickly because I didn't have the answer because it was so such so many things going off at once that I just ran out of ideas. And it was the opportunity to sort of go, hang on a minute. In my own head, I went, this, is, this isn't going well because every decision I make, completely ill-informed of what's gone before, I just ended up people losing a bit of faith in me. Yeah. So I think we put ourselves on such a pedestal to know all the answers that actually we will get more respect and build our build the cultures of schools or our organisations, um, the foundations of those, you know, quickly and more kind of sustainable just by going where the information is and asking people and not being afraid to kind of go, you know, how does this work? Yeah. How do you, how do you think this should work? You've been here longer than me. What's your idea? Brilliant. And how does that ripple effect go out then to parents and families and the wider community? Do, do, do you feel the effects beyond just the, the immediate walls of the school? I talk a lot about the white noise of schools. The, mm. the, I, I had a conversation, um, was lucky enough to talk at the SSAT primary conference. And we, we spoke about, I spoke about communication and that, you know, if you kind of picture you know, every conversation like a ping pong ball being hit across a playground and, you know, every conversation between pu parents, pupil to pupil to pupil to pupil to teacher, to you know, all of these yeah. conversations going on. Yeah. There's so much energy that develops in a school or any organisation that even when the school closes, that conversations are still going on. The ripple effect of what's happened in that day is still going on around the school. It's kind of like, you know, it's why even when we're asleep, school <laughs> is still going, you know, because of the, the actions and interactions of everybody within it. And, and I think if you can make those, those conversations positive and, and use those interactions in a way in which you're asking parents for advice and thinking, crikey, you know, you've had two children through this school. How have you seen it change? Or what's worked for you? Or mm -hmm. how have you done this? Or, you know, 
what's you know what's been successful or what's not been successful that ripple of that conversation just emanate just keep go keeps traveling and if you have it with enough people it just kind of keeps going and going and going and going so yeah this kind of white noise of, of school that just kind of continues on after we close the door and even now you know terms finish but school is still buzzing away in our communities and I've never heard it put like that. That's intriguing. And so how <laughs> how does that intriguing or slightly stupid? I don't know, <laughs> one of the two. Well, intriguing in in the in the sense of parental engagement then. So, you know, you, you describe it as the ping pong kind of bouncing around all over the place and, and 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 that takes a lot of energy and creates a lot of energy. In the last few weeks of term, but across this year, there's been a real change in parental engagement and just from my conversations and work that I'm doing in schools is it's kind of spiked in the last few weeks where that's it's those relationships have become very difficult much more difficult than they have been in some schools of course not every school but I've heard a lot about this are you saying that um the white noise that's happened over the year kind of carries on or how how do we use this kind of white noise of activity and energy how do we harness that how do we make best use of that in the way we relate to the other to the members of our community i.e our parents and everybody else involved with the school i think for me when you're working in in schools which are well in any, in any time in any type of school you know, you, you always have engagement of parents and you can either, that can be a, a negative engagement or a positive engagement. Definitely. And actually the mass of, you know, the kind of the collection of parents and, and kind of wider community stakeholders is always going to be a lot greater than the amount of pupils and the amount of staff and the amount of adults within the organisation. So there's two, I think there's two types of school. One, and it all depends, I think, where, on the journey that you're on. One school's, you know, some schools allow the community to dictate what goes on by just, you know, bringing concerns in and, and sharing those things. And that's quite right, but it also depends where the school is on their journey to have the capacity to deal with that, the enormity of kind of the pressures of parents wanting to find out information and to, and to ask for help and all of those things, you know, depending on where you are. So it's about schools making sure that they can turn that around, that schools can sit very comfortably in, the in their communities and actually lead the pace of change, not just for the school, but for the, the pace of change and success of the community as well. So actually kind of reclaiming the positioning kind of thing. So not the community working, you know, externally that way, you know, into the school, but the, but the school actually serving the community again and repositioning that and making sure that schools recognise themselves as those focal points of the communities. You know, so we recognise that, in, you know, lots of additional services across the last 10, 15 years have been cut. You know, we've seen the, the fall of Shore Start centres. We've seen lots of kind of community youth organisations, you know, opportunities for young children slowly just dissolve into the into the ether because of you know funding cuts and the like schools have, have suddenly taken more and more on so schools have you know family support workers they have they do a lot of kind of their own early help often and supporting families in in more than just education but making sure that their children can access education so it's those bits that we're trying to also do yeah. So we have kind of become more of the community hub than probably that we, we ever thought we were. We were doing far much more than just education. 
Um, so going back to that, that, that question about parental engagement, it's really crucial that we get it right. And, and, and for me, that being an outward-facing school and trying to make sure that we connect with our parents daily, um, being visible, being present is a, is a really important thing. But yeah, so going back to the early stages of March 2020, you know, we were very in control of our messaging and we'd controlled that white noise, as it were, as well as we possibly can by making sure that our communication had clarity to it. It was well timed. It was well considered. You know, any aspect of communication that came out with, out of the school gave more answers than it did raise questions. You know, even to a, a badly written letter can can send you know, so much kind of anxiety amongst communities if you don't get the date right on it or know how it's things are going to happen. Um, and at that time, you know, we, you know, lots of our community were in a lot of, there was a lot of fear going on. And, and when I closed the school on March 20th, 2020, I remember this day so much. And we were, I were, we, our school is a part of a trust that created a bit of a uh, a trust-wide offer for some of our children during that time because we didn't have that many stakeholders, um, key critical worker children. We did, weren't in that position where we're offering remote learning. It was kind of, we were closed, that's it, go back home. Mm. Um, we were very mindful of the vacuum um, that we would have left because of communication and, and very mindful of the fact is that, you know, during that first part of lockdown that vacuum was could be very very easily replaced with social media mm -hmm. um fake news you know as this kind of term that we've all come to know so we kind of decided to keep keep the school going via facebook and i know that lots of people kind of go school and facebook does it does it really work but we started off with a facebook group that had about 40 parents and then it grew and grew to about just over 300 yeah. and we were able to continue uh, communicating, con containing that white noise, keeping that parental engagement going, you know, through daily briefings, through um, games, to for quiz nights for parents on, on Facebook and storytelling and phonics lessons and, you know, maths quizzes and just creating videos of all the work that the children had done during lockdown and sharing it and, and just having conversations um, and it was really powerful. And I, and I think when we talk about parental engagement, it's more than just Twitter. It's more than just sending a letter out and making sure, you know, we talk to our parents. It's actually really going the extra mile because mm. um, it just pays off and it's all worth it. Yeah. And, and, and that really weaves in with what you said at the very beginning of having an authentic and, and human voice, I imagine, setting up a Facebook group with that tone to it. It's like, we don't know everything, but this is what we got. And, you know, having it very conversational, but yeah. that's, that sounds incredible. And it was, it was one of those things where we, we kind of spoke daily, daily with our parents and say, look, this is what we know now. Yeah. And this is what we're dealing with. And this is how you can get in contact with us. And obviously when free school meals came out and all of those, you know, the vouchers came out, there were so many questions Yes. that parents were struggling to, you know, how do I get it? All of these things, you know, Eden Red and the, how, what supermarket can I have and all of those things. Yeah, yeah. And if we did just shut up shop and gone, we're closed, we're, we're off, we're out, our community would have just fractured again and splintered off and we would have spent so much of that next academic year rebuilding you know, it would be very I'm hard. hearing a lot of that actually, because the schools that 
that weren't able or you know, didn't do that for whatever reason are really struggling with their their family um, well parental engagement because they're kind of peed off. They, they they feel like they're a bit in the dark and there's a lot of complaints and then leadership is struggling with that. And it's and and they're saying to me, how do we rebuild this relationship? What would you say to to a head that's feeling that way, that kind of lost the opportunity that you've very beautifully captured? What would you say? How do they rebuild this vital community? I think it's always just about being open and and saying. We might not have communicated as well as we should have done, yeah. you know, and it's about being honest. I remember um, we were very lucky as a school not to have that many COVID cases. Um, and I remember, that, you know, I remember parents saying, well, haven't you done really well? <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't think we've done really well. We've just been very, very lucky, I think, with the, with the things that we've done. We've obviously put lots of, you know, protocols in place and a, you know, a risk assessment that's, you know, strong and we've got kind of all of these procedures to the point where it's a little bit, you know, overdone. However, it, it served us very, very well. And I remember, um, you know, I was doing these daily updates, even when we are at school, telling people to wash their hands and, you know, making sure that they, uh, you know, kept to the social distancing, reminding parents that it's not about, you know, we can't mix in the community, making sure that, and because we were in Leicester, we never came out of lockdown. We were, we were in lockdown. We've only just come out. We, we're coming out of lockdown on the 19th of July, I think, is our, yeah. is our first time. And bizarrely, the first person to get COVID in the school was me. Um, and it was kind of, I had this horrible thing going, how are they going to trust me? You know, I've said all along that, you know, try not to make sure you catch COVID or, or keep yourself safe. And then I got it. And I was, I was really nervous in regards to telling my parents because I just wondered whether or not they would lose confidence in me. Gosh. And the best thing I did was to tell them. I wrote a letter, I said, you know, these things happen. And I actually did a video kind of daily briefing and said, you know, I've, I got it and, uh, you know, but I'm still going to be here and I'm going to be talking to you and we've got letters going out and don't worry about it. And, you know, everything's very different depending on who your contact's been and, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So I think anybody, you know, I think parents always admire honesty and transparency and just being transparent. I think hiding things always leads to kind of you know especially you know what's going on behind the school you know parents immediately worry I think as you know as a parent myself if I don't hear from my children's school it's always a bit you know what's going on yeah yeah I, 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 I think you know it's always very hard where you feel that you've lost you may have lost parental engagement or you may have lost you know the size of your parent community but there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of credence in just going out and saying, you know, we're going to try and do this better, or we've noticed that we're not getting this right. And and saying, you know, what what do, what do we want as parents? What do you want as parents? Yeah. And I think, it, you know, coming up to the end of this academic year, I think everybody will be very pleased to put this behind us and have a really good break over summer and to start again, a fresh slate, uh, clean slate, whatever the expression is, in in September, and say, okay, right, this is what we did well, this is what we didn't do well, and and I love that idea of being transparent and honest and bringing people with you, and and that leads to 
your staff and and well-being and how how do you take care of each other it, it sounds like it's all kind of wrapped up in the same kind of ideology or, or the principles that you have adopted as a leader but how do you take care of your staff in terms of their well-being again you know it's always really sad isn't it to think that you know a pandemic made us really consider how we looked after staff mm-hmm. um and I know lots of schools, you know, including mine, you know, always had well-being at the forefront. Um, and I think the, the the answer lies twofold. One was we had to really think about what well-being actually was. Yes. Um, and I think the second thing was about recognising again this the this going back to this kind of concept of just being human and just being yourself and just being available and being able for a member of staff to come into my office and, 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 and let it go. And also as well, both one, maybe with their frustrations with the school or, or, or something which is both personal or, or you know, career or academic or, or whatever, that we allowed people space to do that in our schools because, and to talk to one another and to recognise that, the book will always stop with me and that's the distinction between my role and everybody else's role we just have very although we have very different titles it's really about the actions that we undertake every day that really makes the difference you know we could i could be called a principal i could be called anything you know but if i wasn't doing the things that i needed to do and and supporting my staff it wouldn't really matter um so we've we've thought a lot about those things in schools, those systems in schools, those tropes of school life that we just kind of blindly carry on with us. And we're, you know, still looking at the staff handbook that we made in, you know, picking up the school handbook from 1984 and going, oh, they, everybody had a meeting on a Monday. So let's let's carry on with that. And everybody has that break time router, rotor and everybody does that. And and actually, you you, you have to think really, really differently. And I think one of the things that we did was, you know, many, many, well, not that long ago, but it seems like many years ago, it was just that, you know, it started off with the workload agenda and really thinking about workload. Then we started to really think about meetings and additional time and really allowing people, and, and I think really recognising that the best gift for teachers is time. And, and I think the... Um, the Whitehall Report, something in 1964, I read in a book, um, which actually the people who are at more risk of cardiac arrest in most organisations are not the people at the top, but actually the people in the bottom who have less control over their lives. Um, because it might be, you might think that leaders are the most stressed out people, but we actually have the most control over our lives than the people at the bottom who, who just have that kind of day-to-day, who come in on a day-to-day. So it's our duty to make sure that kind of support those people as well so we we kind of went out to make sure that we, we were a family we that's what we did we you know we were a, a school where you know recognized the welcome always came away thinking there's such a warmth in that school mm. um, and you create that by consulting with people I think and and like I say going where the information is and asking the right people you know I don't know the best way to you know, I didn't know the best way to organise the one-way system if it didn't come from my premises officer. 
you know, if, or, or, the, my, or, you know, my premises team, I wouldn't know the best way to organize a lunchtime provision or the best rotors or which class to have in first if I didn't speak to the, the members of staff who are in charge of dinnertime duties. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't know about how best to do an NQT induction if I didn't speak to the NQTs, you know, currently or the NQTs yeah. have just gone and gone, was that okay? Or was that, <laughs> was that good? You no. Know? And they will just go, well, no, but it would have been better if, and oh, fine, thanks. So it's, it goes back to this idea of you, you're always asking questions. Yeah. And, and listen more than talk. That's so interesting because it, it feels like it takes courage to do that. But in many ways, and correct me if I'm wrong, does it take kind of a bit of pressure off you? To feel like you don't have to be all things to all people. Massively. Yeah. Massively. And I think, you know, we obviously have a, you know, as, as leaders, we have we have those key things that we have to get right, you know, safeguarding, all of those things, you know, the, all of those key crucial things. But in regards to the operational sides or the strategic sides of things, how do you know that you're getting it right without asking people? Mm. You know, how do you, how do you know you're getting it wrong? Yeah. You know, that really worries me. You know, how many how many people kind of go, we introduced this scheme and we introduced it three years ago. How's it going? Well, it's fine with us, but you've, <laughs> your, your staff are on their knees yeah. and it doesn't work. Yeah. And there's more kind of, you know, hidden concern and hidden stresses yeah. than actually just because it gives results. I think it's, it's always those things as well, that actually just because it might give results doesn't, you know, the end point, you know, those kind of key drivers of attainment and progress, just because it gives us that, what have we lost? What have we lost as we've gone on that journey? Um, yeah. So it's important, isn't it? It's that fine balance of making sure that we meet the key outcomes of what our core business is, but also making sure that it doesn't, you know, kill people along the way. Well, yeah, and 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 it's such a huge concern for so many head teachers and principals, especially that are coming in new to their role. How do you manage change? And you've just kind of given a really nice little handbook there in bringing people with you, being transparent, being humane, being yourself. Then you don't need to worry so much about this little clique of staff that always go quiet when I walk into the staff room or that don't engage in a way it just seems pretty straightforward I? I think it does <laughs> and, I, and I don't know if it's kind of I don't know I, do, I just don't think I could be anything other than who I am yeah. I just, I, you know I, I kind of find that really hard I don't I think sometimes you know when we get into certain positions of leadership you know I personally kind of I just found myself there. I just, you know, it was just like, look, so, something happened and then that happened and, oh, could you? And, you know, that. And I, and I think that kind of happens in most schools or most organisations. You just end up being that person. Yeah. It's a bit like, you know, sometimes, you know, I had an admin assistant who I, I loved dearly, who I was so sad to see go when she retired. Um. And she, she started her journey in the school as someone who worked in a nursery and she'd been there in time. And then obviously she, you know, she said, I just remember being good at the, the dinner money. And then they gave me more things to do in the office. And it was, and she just kind of grew in her position, but she grew in such a way that everybody knew her that she was so easy to go and speak to anybody about anything. 
and yeah. go, oh, could you do that? Oh, yeah, fine, thanks. You know, so it's it, for me, it's about you evolve into it with, with people around you. And you, I suppose it's about becoming the leader that they need at that moment in time. Without losing yourself on, uh, in yeah. the process by trying to be the patchwork quilt of all of the other great leaders that you've worked under or worked with in your career. Yeah. That feels like a good place to wrap up, Dan. Is there anything else you'd like to add before I just let people know where they can connect with you? No, I think, you know, I think a lot of, I suppose in most things, it's always about sort of sharing that massive round of applause and support with anybody who's worked in education over the last 18 months, you know, even, you know, and especially some of our teachers in their RQT position or NQTs or, you know, what a, what a, what a strange year. Yeah. you know or a strange 18 months and no one ever no one ever saw it coming so I think it's always nice to share what's gone well for people and what didn't go so well and actually kind of hopefully September or August or whenever people go back that we just could be into some kind of realm of normality but as long as we learn take something from the things that we've you know the experience that we've gone through we'll, we'll all be in a better place for it I hope yeah yeah and actually we had a little brief chat on your and i will tell people about your um forum on twitter called saturday ed chat in a moment but we had a little quick chat about that um, a couple of weeks ago i was mm. in and jumped on the stage when i figured out how to do that and you were saying Did, does this feel like a time to harness change you know there's what can we do better D do you feel that this is a time where we can make lasting change or is it just like oh hanging on in there and just what, what do you think the possibility is now I think there's so many possibilities and I think we have to be really really careful to make sure that we don't just jump back in two-footed to everything that we once knew before and I'm, I'm and I go and I speak very very passionately about this because I'm you know I think most leaders are ready just to crack on and get an, have an assembly you know, that's what I'm looking forward to, an assembly, everybody in singing together, you yeah. know, but what I don't want to lose sight of are the skills of the pupils that evolved over that period of remote learning where children were, you know, working with technology, quite quickly adapting their own learning to working with technology, to selecting their own tasks that may have been left with them on Teams or whatever, mm -hmm. Google Classroom, having that sense of independence of going, right, well, this is my day and these are the activities I'm going to choose. I just hope we can harness that sense of being more facilitators of learning and trying to reposition ourselves as those people at the front of the classroom, trying to be teachers and talkers and actually what we've got to do is we've got to kind of kind of find where those children are at now because I think a lot of children have you know a lot of children found it hard a lot of teachers found it hard but there's lots of children who managed to navigate learning for themselves by self-selecting by able to go I'm going to do my maths now and then I'm going to have a cup of tea or then I'm going to do this they still managed to get it done yeah. in their own time but then I just don't want us to go back to carving up timetables of an hour, an hour, an hour, an hour, because we've probably got a large proportion of children who haven't worked like that for a while and actually probably give us a better idea of how it would work or could work. 
Well, I look forward to hearing how that unfolds because I think you make a fantastic point. Children are enormously creative and resilient and, yeah, they've they've figured a lot of stuff out and the idea of being facilitators for their autonomy going forward is is a, a very exciting one. So will you keep us posted? Jump back yeah. on when you've, when you've got something we'll to... We'll see how we get on. Yeah, yeah. Dan, thank you so much. No, it's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I've been speaking with Dan Edwards. You can connect with Dan on Twitter at DanEdwards underscore 77. And the school Twitter account, so Woodstock Primary Academy is at Woodstock ACAD. So this, of course, is all in the show notes. Um, As I said, he hosts a regular education forum on Twitter called hashtag Saturday Ed Chat on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Are you keeping them going over the summer or are you taking a break? No, we are. Yeah, Um, I think so. I I host it with Kate Jones, um, uh, another academic and teacher and writer and Sinead Moxon as well, who's a a teacher. So we've kind of started that as a a strange little idea back in March. It just seems to have grown. So we do. I think we will continue it. Good. You can find out about that just following the hashtag Saturday Ed Chat and um, Dan's also on Instagram at Dan underscore Edwards ED and website where his blog and articles, etc., are leadinginthenow.org. Dan, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to access tools and support to help you manage daily school pressures, stresses or anxiety, head to our website, pursuitwellbeing.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, please rate and review it and share it with your friends.